Well, today we've arrived at Advent, and you can see we've got out the colour purple uh, everywhere. And I wonder how you feel as we begin that countdown to Christmas, or perhaps the count up, uh, we should say, as we light our Advent wreath, candle by candle, week by week. I saw a, a cartoon this week of a child being shown an Advent wreath like this, and excitedly saying, ah, I get it, it's to show us how many shopping days there are till Christmas. And I thought, hmm, not quite. Uh, But maybe that's on our mind as well. But with all the to-do lists, the end-of-year do's, the school breakups and plays and pageants to get through, uh, I find myself quite often saying to others and to myself during the day, just take it one day at a time, or maybe even half a day at a time, or maybe even just the next thing uh, at a time. It's so easy, isn't it, to get overstretched and overfocused on small anxieties, which in the greater sum of things we often see afterwards actually don't really matter that much. But I think that's why I'm glad we do have this season of Advent within the church for these four weeks before Christmas, um, even though it risks getting a little bit buried under the Christmas tinsel already. Because in the season of Advent, we're invited to take a step back and just look at the bigger picture, to look forward to, to a world permanently transformed, to look forward to God's reign come on earth in all its fullness one day. And to help us to explore the whys and hows of this, uh, the church today gives us a new gospel to focus on as we make our way through the season of Advent and then on into the year ahead. So today we actually start with the gospel of Matthew. And for the next year, it's Matthew's gospel that we're going to be focusing on as our companion and guide Uh, But before we look at today's reading, we've just heard from Matthew, maybe a little, just a little background to help us. Those who knew and followed Jesus while he was on earth and were with him over the events of his death and then his stunning resurrection and ascension to heaven, fully expected that his return in glory would happen very soon. And they had witnessed such astounding miracles and events in their own lifetime already. And they'd come to see that Jesus was the Messiah and the Son of God. And so they felt surely it must be very soon that we will see the consummation of Jesus' promised kingdom in all its fullness and all its glory here on earth as it was in heaven. That's what they expected. But no, time passed, and gradually those who'd been eyewitnesses to the words and works of Jesus began to die, or to be killed, as we know the persecution of Christians began very early in those early decades of the church's life. But fortunately, before they'd all departed this life, some saw the need to collect and write down the stories and events that those eyewitnesses could remember about their time spent with Jesus and the things that Jesus said and did. 
So in those decades from about the 60s up to 100 AD, or CE as we say now, the four Gospels came to be written. And each was written by the Gospel writer for a particular audience. And each exhibited its own quite deliberate editorial stamp as each Gospel writer in their own way sought to meet the needs of their community who they were speaking to. And they were trying to support them and to help them to stay faithful despite persecution and despite Christ's delayed return. So it's against that background that choosing uh, that Matthew was trying to strengthen the faith and the resolve of his particular faith community. And we know that Matthew was writing for those with a predominantly Jewish background. Matthew often uh, speaks in terms of the Hebrew scriptures. And that's how we approach what we heard this morning. Writers like Matthew search through the Hebrew scriptures. And of course, those were the only scriptures they had at that point. The New Testament uh, is not yet uh, formed. So they went looking through the Hebrew scriptures to find pictures and images which could help them to picture Jesus' future return. Meanwhile, we know they were undergoing pretty tough times with the rise of persecution, with tragedies such as the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple by the Roman armies in AD 70. And they also looked in the scriptures for ways to understand the suffering, the persecution that they were experiencing. They looked to find hope for the future. Among some Christians, there was a growing belief that Christ's return would be some sort of grand cosmic event of Hollywood proportions and special effects knocking out those enemy Romans uh, who they compared with Israel's ancient enemy, the Babylonians, who had destroyed Jerusalem and the temple 600 years before. And that's reflected in some of the language of the Gospels, what we call apocalyptic language, and the warnings of dangers to come from enemies both without and within the church and the world. But there are also passages, as we heard today, that actually might reflect a bit of a growing complacency uh, within parts of the church. A sense that, well, if Jesus' coming is so long delayed, we might as well eat, drink and be merry and just get on with life as it is. And perhaps, to be honest, that's where perhaps most of the church sits today. We still say in the creed, Jesus will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. We still pray in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. But yet we are often getting a little uncomfortable about some of the more triumphalistic ideas that have been associated over the centuries with the second coming of Christ, with divisions between those whipped off in some sort of rapture while those left on earth are left to suffer the destructiveness of some sort of hell on earth. When we look at Matthew's gospel, as we will in the year ahead, as a whole, and read his story of Jesus, we get the distinct impression 
that a definitive change in the world has happened with the birth of Jesus. Matthew calls Jesus Emmanuel, God with us. God with us. And so at the beginning of Matthew's Gospel, we are told Jesus' name is Emmanuel, God with us. And then if we go right, that's chapter 1, if we go right to the very last chapter of Matthew, chapter 28, uh, that last great chapter where we, where we read the great commission of Jesus after his resurrection, what do we hear Jesus promise his disciples? Remember, I am with you. Exactly the same words as in that name, Emmanuel. I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. And it's interesting, at the end of Matthew's Gospel, unlike Mark and Luke, Matthew doesn't actually end the Gospel with an account of Jesus' ascension or departure. We get those uh, in other Gospels. We get them in Mark and Luke. But rather, Matthew's Gospel leaves us with the promise that Jesus' ongoing, continuing presence is with us right now and right to the end of the age. I will never leave you or forsake you. I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. And that's a wonderful promise, and perhaps that's the challenge to us in this busy time of year, to look even in the busyness of this month and say, where are those God with us moments? Where is God with us right now? Maybe it's in just pausing to watch that sunset or sunrise. Maybe it's in the generous, caring gesture of a friend. Maybe it's at the moment when we baptise a tiny little one and we see there God with us, God with us, coming to earth in a child like the baby Jesus. Maybe it's as we come with our hands empty to communion and say, God, I've got just about nothing left at the end of the year, but I come to you, hands out, just as I am, and say to me that you are with me through this next month, through whatever it holds. That's the way we can know God with us. And when we do, aren't we again refreshed, surprised in wonder and in faith, and we are strengthened. It's interesting in this morning's gospel, Matthew used another image too of Jesus coming like a thief in the night, coming to wake us up, coming to challenge us. And sometimes we need that, that reminder to be awake and alert. But it's not so that we need to run and hide like we might, like a thief coming to our house. Rather, we come and we come and just come to God and say, here I am, just as I am. Because God comes not to judge, not to steal, but to give and to bless and to hold us in love. So perhaps when sometimes we feel that God has just spoken that word to us, maybe a word on the screen jumps up out at us. Maybe a word of a song just comes back into our mind. Maybe a word of the scripture is there for us. When there's a word that is meant for us, then let us know that 
It is not Jesus coming to criticize or condemn, but to shine the light on us that we might draw ever closer into his light and into his likeness. The motive of Jesus in coming to us is love. And when he shines a light on something in our lives, shines that torch on us, it's to help us to come further into the light and to draw closer to God and to draw more and more like Christ. So let's use this season of Advent, this promised season of Jesus coming, to be transformed. I love that image that we're transformed glory by glory into the image of Christ. And it takes a lifetime. It doesn't all happen at once. It takes a lifetime. And sometimes we can feel at this stage of the year, I'm not sure I've got too much more to offer or to give. But Jesus says to us, come as you are. Come as you are, because that is how I came to you. When the world wasn't ready, when the world was just going about all its usual things, that little baby crept into the stable among us. And so come just as you are to me now and receive from me. Look for me. Look for me to be God with us, God with you, through whatever this month holds, through Christmas and through into the new year. May we know that Jesus is God with us, God coming to us again and again, and God one day coming in glory. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus.